Have you ever tried to grow anything? I'm not a farmer by trade, but, you know, as part of raising elementary school kids, you try to grow things. And what I learned is that you have to prepare the earth. You have to break it up and make sure it's all, you know, soft so the roots can get in. You've got to make sure the pH is right, whatever that is, you know, so that the things grow, there's enough nutrients and whatnot. Then you've got to plant the seeds. Um, that's what we were using. Some people use seedlings, but we use seeds. And then you have to water them on the right amount, not drown them. I'm sorry, I drowned too many. Um, and, you know, you have to very carefully try to nurture each of the things that grow. And it's not that you can do anything except, you know, help out once in a while. It really is God who gives the growth. But you put a lot of effort in as a person who's trying to grow something. And so here we have a scripture this morning. Jesus is in the middle of his um, talk. He has just about finished his ministry. He's now in Jerusalem, and he's teaching at the temple, and he's telling various parables. So let's listen to what God has to say. Listen to another parable. This is Jesus speaking. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? Remember, this is Jesus talking. Now, the chief priests and the uh, Pharisees say he will bring those wretches to an end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Will you join me in prayer? God, we give thanks that you indeed give us your word, that you give us ears to hear and that your spirit will stir our hearts. So we ask now that you would come and be amongst us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, here we have an owner. And the owner has planted a vineyard. 
Now, this vineyard is already growing. It's probably been growing for a couple of years and whatnot. But notice how this is just out in the open. It's kind of, you know, the land goes down into the city. There's nothing around it. But in Jesus' parable, the owner does a number of things. It's, he lays out a very well laid, well, a very well laid vineyard. He plants it the way you're supposed to, just like this one is. But then he also puts a wall around it. He makes room for a wine press so that when the grapes are ready, they can be picked and pressed right there. You don't have to haul them someplace else. And he also puts a tower in it so that um, at different times, the tenants can climb the tower or station somebody there overnight to protect the vineyard. So he does everything right. And then he rents it. So he spares no expense in making an absolutely first-class vineyard. And the priest... And the elders and the Pharisees are all going, yes. Because, you see, many of them would have done the same thing. They would have been landowners. After all, they're in the upper class. But because they have duties at the temple, which perhaps is not near where they grew up, such as Galilee is kind of far from Jerusalem, they would rent it to tenants. And then at come harvest time, they would send somebody to collect their part. So they're thinking, oh, yeah, this guy is really generous. He does more than really is needed. He's doing all right. So they're thinking he's extremely generous. So here is a a drawing, and you can see there's a tower, and there's actually a wall around, and there's people who are picking the vines. And, you know, you have to not only pick the grapes, you also have to get rid of the weeds and make sure that the earth is all right and get the water going right. And then there's some guys on the left there, you can see, who are stomping out the grapes um, in the wine press that has been there. So they were doing everything right during the growing season. Then comes the time when the owner sends some servants. And what did they do with the servants? They beat them, they stoned them, they killed them. Not just individually ones, but then he sends a group. And they do the same thing to the group that he has sent before. And everybody who is listening, all the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees and the folks in the crowd and even us who are reading it are going, wait a minute. These are treacherous servants. They shouldn't be killing the messengers. Especially since, for all we know, the messengers probably arrived unarmed. You know, you just show up and it's, you know, it's tax time. You pay your taxes. You pay your, you know, you pay your rent for what you've been done. Excuse me. Oops. Um, so, there are some problems here. You see that the owner, the tenant are acting to advance their own interests. They're not really doing what the owner needs. They're doing what they need. Because they need to harvest just like the owner does. But that's in their own interest, is to make sure there's a good harvest. But then also in their own interest is to make sure that they don't have to take any of it and give it as rent to the um, owner of the vineyard. However, Jewish law comes into play here. It's not told us in the story, but we know that in Jewish law, the owner has to send or show up himself once a year. (coughs) Um, He has to show up once a year to collect the rent. Otherwise, there begins to be problems. And after three years, 
um, he has to actually take legal action against tenants who don't, you know, who don't follow through. And uh, so that's one reason he sends his son, because ten, the servants are just servants. But the, the son represents the legal authority that an owner would have to be able to get the harvest. Now, these days, we, these days we call it adverse possession. For those of you who are lawyers, don't, don't worry about it. Um, what it means is that you are adverse to the owner. You have possession of the land, but you act in adverse ways. Well, certainly the tenants here were acting in adverse ways. They were killing people. They were stoning them. They were, you know, uh, beating them. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So the owner comes. And the chief priests, the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees, they all think the owner is weak. It's pure folly. I mean, okay, the first time you send send send, send swords to the tenants, you're okay. They get killed. What do you do? You send the soldiers in. No, that's not what this owner does here. He sends more servants, and those ones get beat. He sends more servants, and those ones get stoned. Then he sends a group of servants, and what happens? Everybody gets killed. The son gets killed. So the Jewish laws are not enforced over the tenant. If, if they were enforced, they would charge the tenant and then rent to another, because that's what you did. You know, you took action against the folks who have wronged you, and then you turn to somebody else who will actually follow through on what it is they say they're supposed to do. Now, the observers, those who are just kind of on the edge of the crowd and, and who are us, actually see this as a story of the Old Testament. We know that God is the one who created and who provided for everything that was needed when he created the earth back in Genesis. We know that he gave the Israel people the Mosaic Law and that that kind of set a scent around what they were supposed to do. Because the Mosaic Law does say you're not supposed to do these things. But within that sense, they have freedom. And so he builds this vineyard. He builds this earth. He sets the way we're supposed to act in it. And then what happens? Well, Israel, if those of you who were here for the story last year know that Israel had its ups and downs, and most of the time it was down rather than up, especially as you get into the prophets um, after the Psalms, you know, the second half of the Old Testament. You get prophets who come and who tell Israel they need to come back and worship God, and well, they sometimes do, but most of the time they don't. And what do they do? They beat the, the prophets. They stone the prophets. They kill the prophets. And so for those of us who are observers, we can see that this whole parable is actually a story of what has gone on in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus asks the questions, when the owner comes, in verse 40, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The chief priests, the Sadducees, the elders all say, he will bring the righteous to a wretched end. They will reply, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop. So that is a logical explanation. But that's not the explanation that Jesus gives us. Instead, Jesus in 42 says to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the 
cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Now, people would have recognized that. It's Psalm 118. They might even have been singing it because, after all, Passover is coming up. It's one of the psalms that is read prior to Passover. Um, And here, he is speaking Aramaic. Um, And the word for son in Aramaic is Ben. So we get Ben Israel, Ben Abraham, all those sorts of things. But the word for stone is Eben. And so there's kind of a play on words here. And he's talking about, he quotes the scripture that says the stone that's been rejected is the one that's been chosen now to be the cornerstone. And it's a play on words meaning also that the son who has been rejected will become the cornerstone. So he then goes on and this is an image of what the cornerstone is. Now, this, this is actually a keystone, cornerstone. Um, the English dictionary gives us both. But the whole idea is that you take rectangular bricks and you stack them up, but then they're all going to fall down unless you get something that's kind of trapezoidal. It's kind of shaped like this, you know, where the bottom is uh, narrower than the top. So you can see that there. And often it's also taller. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, all of our states have um, names for them. We're the Golden State. You know, Nevada's the Silver State. Pennsylvania is the Keystone State. You know why? Because if you look at um, the geography of the original 13 colonies, Pennsylvania is the one that holds the whole arc together. So the Keystone has always been important, always been part of the need to have it when you're building something. Now remember Jesus is here in the temple teaching. And so although this is a a picture of kind of a street scene, around him, everybody who is listening to him can see the stone arches in the temple. And those stone arches are going to have the capstone, the cornerstone. And so it's a good image for people. Not only have they heard about it, not only will they be singing about it, but also now they can also see them. And he says, all right, it's become the cornerstone. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce fruit. So what he's saying is that himself, Jesus Christ, becomes the chief cornerstone in building God's kingdom. That's what the story of Matthew is all about, is the kingdom of God. And here Jesus says, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you, the elders, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and given to other people who will, be, <coughs> who will produce the fruit. And then he goes on and he says, he who falls on the stone will be broken and the others will be crushed. Here he is quoting um, Daniel um, uh, 2, where Daniel talks about being crushed um, by God, and Isaiah 8, where he talks about falling on a stone or the stumbling stone. So he is again quoting um, from what the people would know, because most of the people are going to know their scriptures. And then the chief priests realize They've heard the parables, especially this last one that we're talking about. And they realize he's talking about them. Not exactly a happy note for them. Here you have somebody 
who everybody recognizes, <clears throat> is a teacher, and he is busy teaching, and suddenly you realize, oh, he's talking about me. He's talking about my friends. And so they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid because everybody else around them saw him as a prophet. So the kingdom is going to be taken away. And it's going to be given to others. Because the judgment is going to be pronounced on the original tenets. You know, and it's very easy for us to say, oh yeah, those priests, those Sadducees, those Pharisees, those were bad guys. Well, they were trying their best. But let's stop and think. What about us? Can we be guilty of the same kind of thing? You see, it's possible for us as believers to claim the fruit of the vineyard for ourselves. It happens when we want things to go our way, when we live as we want to, and we do things according to our own interests, rather than the interests of the kingdom. You see, God doesn't want us to be selfish. He doesn't want us to live, you know, whatever we desire. Rather, he wants us to make Jesus as our cornerstone. He wants us to be sure that we are producing fruit. Now, there are other passages in the New Testament about what that fruit might be. But the point of this parable is not only a condemnation of what the Israel has come to, but it's also a warning as to what we might come to. Because we also are given much. We are given a wonderful vineyard, a wonderful place to live, good jobs, nice area, all of those sorts of things. And it's very easy for us to fall into complacency, which probably is what many of the people in Israel had done. They'd fallen into complacency, just kind of keep on keeping on. But that's not what God wants. That's not what he wants us as the tenants of his vineyard to be. He wants us to think about making Jesus our cornerstone. And as we do that, then we will produce the fruit that he desires. Let us pray. God, we are thankful that we don't do this on our own. We are thankful that we have your Holy Spirit to us that comes to us and helps us to produce your fruit. And we ask now that you would seal to our hearts the lessons we've learned this morning. We ask that you would help us to walk in your ways, making Jesus our cornerstone. For we ask this all in his name. Amen.